trust me, I know what I'm about to say is not what you want to hear. Uh, not when your body hurts like it hurts. Not when your marriage is on the ropes. Uh, not after being betrayed by a close friend. Not when you can't afford to provide the magical Christmas for your kids. Not when it's your responsibility to care for an elderly parent, a sick, sp a sick spouse, a disabled child. Not when a person that you love is battling addiction, not when you have experienced such great loss. What you'd prefer to hear me say this morning is nothing at all. Or maybe something simple like, I'm sorry. I'm praying for you. And just so you know, there have been moments in my life when I didn't want to hear it any more than you want to hear it now. But I'm going to say it anyway, not because I'm trying to be an insensitive jerk, but because what you need to hear is what you don't want to hear. Let me tell you why. It is when life is very painful, toxic emotions are quick to take root. Emotions like anger and hopelessness, resentment, bitterness, cynicism. Emotions that raise your blood pressure, rob you of your desire to get out of bed, cause you to distrust those who care about you, and even withdraw from God. And so I'm going to say what you don't want to hear me say this morning. Give thanks in all circumstances. Even in the sorry, unfair, heartbreaking circumstances that you find yourself in right now, give thanks. Give thanks. Why? Because gratitude is the antidote to those toxic emotions. You may not see the impact immediately, but if practiced over time and consistently, gratitude will drive out those toxic emotions and, and restore the opportunity to feel hope and joy once again. I want you to listen to the words of Dr. Robert Emons. I quoted from him in the first uh, lesson of this series several times, but he writes this. My work has led me to interview people who have suffered terrible illness and loss, including the events of September 11th, 2001, and the destructive hurricanes that hit the southeastern United States in 2005. And even in the face of such terrible adversity, it is possible to be grateful. And more important, people who experience gratitude in such dire circumstances consistently report that they are happier than those who do not and are less susceptible to negative emotions and outcomes. And David Stendhal Rast, who is considered by many people to be the foremost teacher on gratitude, he reminds us very quickly that even in the midst of painful moments of life, you can still decide to be grateful. He writes this, he says, times that challenge us physically, emotionally, and spiritually make it almost impossible for us to feel grateful, but we can decide to live gratefully, courageously open to life in all its fullness. 
Now, is this an easy decision to make? No, it is not. And the last thing I want to do this morning is to give you the impression that it is. I tend to agree with the author who writes this, far from being a warm, fuzzy sentiment, gratitude is morally and intellectually demanding. It's not easy. But the benefit of gratitude, especially during the painful moments of life, the benefit is huge. Many of you know the name Ellie Weasel. But for those of you who do not, Weasel is a survivor of the Holocaust who went on to be a best-selling author, was the recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize. And Weasel describes those very painful moments of life like being uh, captive in a Nazi concentration camp. He describes those moments as the nights. And there are a thousand different variations of the night that one might experience in life. But each and every night that we encounter, it has the power to hold this bondage. I want you to listen very closely to what Weasel writes. What others can't see is what is real to those who are trapped. People's minds build the prison walls. Their thoughts line them with barbed wire. Internal judgments become the patrolling guards. Escape requires tunneling or climbing through those barriers and walking past the guards. How does one escape? The key that opens the prison door is the key of gratefulness. Searching for and being thankful for what is positive in every situation digs the tunnel and breaks the stranglehold of despair. But if we're absolutely honest this morning, many of us, we're a lot like a criminal who has spent the majority of his or her life behind prison bars. The thought of freedom makes us a little bit nervous. Uh, we have grown so comfortable in rehashing our wounds and defining ourselves by some diagnosis, of retelling stories of how we have been treated unjustly of nursing our wounds, of acting out of our woundedness. We're, we're so comfortable with this that to behave or think in any other way, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel normal. It doesn't feel right. It, it makes us feel really, really nervous. I understand that, but I want you to know this. You will never experience the full life in Jesus Christ that He desires for you to experience until you break free until you're no longer imprisoned in your mind. The time has come, the time has come for us to walk out of that prison door once and for all. And Weasel reminds us the key, one of the keys to walking out of that prison is gratitude. It's gratitude. You say, okay, well, maybe that's true, but after all that I've been through in life, all that I've experienced, what do I have to be thankful for? I'm so glad that you asked that question this morning. This is not an exhaustive list by any means, but I want to share with you a few things to get you started. Number one is this. You can be thankful that you are deeply loved. You can be thankful that you're deeply loved. Now, some of you may find that hard to believe. After all, you were the child that grew up in a home that was referred to as the the oops child by parents who really didn't pay any attention to what you needed in life. You're just kind of an inconvenience in your home. 
And for others of you, it's hard to believe because throughout your life, you've been met with unkind words and unkind looks simply because of the color of your skin. And for some of you here this morning, it's hard for you to believe because, well, you've been denied opportunities simply because of your gender. And it is very difficult to believe that you are loved when you have been made to feel unlovable time and time again. And while all of that may be true, please remember this. You are deeply, deeply loved in a generous way by your Father in heaven. I'm sorry you've had those experiences in life. You did not deserve those experiences in life. But your Father loves you deeply and generously. We read these words in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. God's no miser when it comes to His love. He doesn't hand it out in microdoses. He pours His love over you much like football players pour Gatorade over a beloved coach after a major victory. He just pours it over you. And the only thing that you have to do to experience His love is to receive it. It's not earned, it's freely given. Please hear me on that this morning because some of you, you're absolutely exhausted this morning because you have spent day after day, month after month, year after year, trying to earn the love of other people. You're trying to learn the, earn the love of your parents. You're trying to earn the love of a spouse or a friend or an employer. And you can't do it and you're tired, but I want you to know this, there is a God in heaven who loves you freely because it is who he is. He's love and he shares his love with you. And there is nothing, hear me on this this morning, there is nothing, no person, no circumstance that can keep you from experiencing the love of God. We're reminded of this by Paul in Romans chapter 8 and verse 35. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Does that mean he no longer loves us? And Satan, more than anything else, wants to convince you that's exactly what it means. That when you go through hard times, it means God doesn't love you because if he did, he would do something. He would act. He would keep that bad thing from happening to you in your life. But the reality is God did act. He acted for you. And because he acted for you, you will always and forever live in Christ's love. You see, let's keep reading in Romans chapter 8 and verse 37 through 39. He says, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I know those words are familiar, but let them sink in this morning. We are loved 
and will forever be loved by the one who created and rules over this entire universe. And for this, David calls us to give thanks. Psalm chapter 118, verse 1 through 4. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, to, let Israel say his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his love endures forever. And I would add, let the Campbell Church say his love endures forever. Okay, this might be true, but when I'm going through hard times in life, I don't feel God's love. I mean, it's hard to connect with his love when I, when I hurt so deeply. I totally understand that, so I want to give you a simple suggestion this morning. I want to encourage you when you have a hard time feeling God's love to simply sit down and begin to write out all the different ways that God has proven his love to you in the past. If you need an example of what this sounds like, read Psalm 107 or Psalm 118 or Psalm 136 because you'll find David doing this time and time again, just retracing how God has proven his love to Israel throughout history. And it's, a, it's something that we can do practically. We can sit down and say, I don't feel it right now, but here's how I've experienced in the past time and time and time again. And when you do this, all of a sudden you find that that kind of helps with some of the doubts that you're feeling in the, in the present, and it also fills your heart with gratitude. This God who loves you, this God who loves you, he is always with you. He's always with you. That's not always true of people, is it? In fact, one of the reasons that the hard times in life, the painful times in life are so difficult is because in those moments, a person can feel so absolutely alone. I don't know what it is about us as human beings, but for some reason, one reason or another, we all have our reasons, but when people go through hard times, even people we care about, we have a tendency at times what to bail on them. Maybe it's too hard for us emotionally. Maybe we don't feel like we can fix it, so we don't want to know what to do. So we just kind of back out, we back away, or maybe we hang with them for a little bit of time, but we can't hang with them for an extended period of time. We just don't have the capacity. That's not true of God, though. That's not in his character. God won't do that to you. He sticks by our side. He is faithful to meet our greatest need in those moments when we hurt. We find David sharing how he experienced the faithfulness of God in Psalm 40 and verse 1 through 4. He said this, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. And he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. I said, I was going through a really hard time, but I cried out to God. And you know what? He was there. He responded. He helped me. I trust him. And blessed are all those who trust him. And knowing, confidently knowing, you have reason to trust leads to thanksgiving even in the darkest night. I'm reminded of the story of Michael Murphy, Lieutenant Michael Murphy, who in 2005 led a Navy SEAL team, four-man Navy SEAL team, into the Hindu Kush mountains in Afghanistan, looking for terrorists who had gone into hiding 
Unfortunately, they were discovered first. And so quickly, Murphy and his team of four, they found themselves in a battle in which they were significantly outnumbered. These men fought hard. But Murphy realized at a particular moment, there's no possible way we're going to survive this moment if we don't get support. But here was the problem. Radio communication was nearly impossible because of the surrounding mountain range. So Murphy made an incredibly courageous decision. He walked out into an open area to try to get radio communication. And as soon as he did, enemy fire rained down. Murphy stood out there in that open field, and he calmly gave their location, the size of the enemy force they were fighting, and then he made a request for immediate support. And when he finished, he signed off with a simple, thank you. Thank you. Despite being shot once in the stomach and twice in the back, Murphy said, Thank you. Why? Maybe he was just raised to be a polite young man. I don't think that was the case, so. I think that statement was one of confidence and not just politeness. He said thank you because there was not a doubt in his mind that his fellow soldiers would meet them in their darkest night and fight by their side. And it is the reason that we can give thanks in all circumstances. God meets us in our darkest night and fights with us and he fights for us. Turning again to the words of David as an example of what this sounds like. David writes in Psalm 28 and verse 6 through 7, Praise the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength and shield. I trust him with all my heart. He helps me and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. This God who is with us, he's always in control, full of control. If God's in control, you might ask, though, then why do bad things happen? Well, I would encourage you to go back and listen to Andy Wall's sermon during the Explore God sermon series for a fuller treatment of this question. But here's my nutshell answer. So God Almighty never intended for us to experience the dark night. Things like anger are things like pain and suffering and decay and disease and disaster and death. That wasn't a part of his plan. It became a reality when Adam and Eve made the decision to follow their will instead of God's. And in that moment, all chaos broke loose. And it's because of sin that we face the night. But even in the night, God's still in control. And as such, he's the one that determines just how dark our night will be. And that's a reason to give thanks. Can you imagine if Satan was in full control, if he had full reign? He would absolutely crush us. But thankfully, God, who is in control, he sets limits. We see this in the story of Job. We see before Satan could ever inflict harm on Job, he first had to go to God and say, I, can I do this? He had to receive God's permission, and God granted him permission, but then God also set boundaries. 
He said, you can do this to Job, but you can't do this to Job. You can only go so far. Now, that's not to say that God didn't allow the night to get pretty dark for Job, because he did. That man lost just about everything and just about everyone that he loved. He suffered physically and immensely to a degree that most of us never will and will never understand. And yet, Job never questioned if God was in control. Now, Job had a lot of questions for God because he knew God was the one who was in control of all his happenings. Now, did God give Job answers? No, he did not. Why not? Because he knew Job did not have the capacity to understand, and neither do we. And while there's a lot about life, especially when we're in the midst of pain and in the nights, that we cannot understand, will not understand, do not understand, there are a few things in life that we can know. And one is this. Is it by God's strength, we can make it through. By God's strength, we can make it through that dark night. Paul, with a spirit of gratitude, testifies to this in Philippians chapter 4, and verse 12 through 13. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in wants. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul says, life's not always easy. Sometimes you have a lot and sometimes you have a little. Sometimes life is full of joy and sometimes life is full of sadness. Sometimes life goes just the way that you want it, the way you planned it, and sometimes it doesn't at all. But you can survive. You can make it through because there is a God who gives you the strength to do that. And the second thing you can know is this, is that God can bring good out of the darkest nights. You see, Paul assures us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Now, that good doesn't necessarily erase the pain and sorrow of those dark nights, but it does give you a reason to give thanks. Two people who testify to that truth are a couple by the name of Emmett and Charlotte Ray. A few years ago, just prior to the start of the NCAA basketball tournament, their son Jason who was the mascot for the North Carolina, University of North Carolina basketball team, the Tar Heels. Uh, he was preparing for their, their tournament. He started to, to go out and get something to eat. He was struck by a vehicle and he was killed. Crushing, crushing loss. What is there to be thankful for in a moment like that? I want you to listen to their words. The phone rang, and I just knew it wasn't a good phone call. She just handed me the phone. I mean, there's a stranger on the other end of the phone telling you your son's been hit. I just walked out of the room. I didn't know. I knew it was bad. It's your worst nightmare. And Jason had made the decision to donate his organs. When you're faced with a child in a serious situation, as Jason was, you, you don't think logically, and I couldn't imagine me saying, yeah, you can take his organs when I'm still hoping he's going to get out of this. And then I remembered the conversation that he and I had had when he got his driver's license. 
He said, maybe some child's daddy was dying and I could save that man. And I had enough respect for Jason to know that he would want me to honor his wishes. So come back in and said, okay, we'd, we'd do what he wanted. I received a call. They called me back. They found a donor. We wanted to meet whoever might receive his organ. Jason was in the newspaper. He saw that it was a kid from North Carolina that died. I think they had said it was from a young person. But I didn't make the connection. So then we started putting clues together. I bet you it must have been from him. And then he said, you might want to become a North Carolina fan. And that's when we were like, Jason. Antoine is living because he has his kidney. Without David getting his pancreas and the kidney, I probably wouldn't have my son today. Jason Ray had a big old heart. I know because I have it. When you think about what happens to your organs, you know, you don't get to take them to heaven. You get all brand new ones. It's one of the greatest gifts that you could give. We tell everybody, if you want to become a donor, do it. Put it on your license. Then when the time comes, it makes the decision for the parents so much easier. This could happen to you. So if you want to become a donor, do that. But again, I wouldn't want to keep my organs if, if it's helping somebody else live. Well, it takes a special person like that to become an organ donor. Thank you for coming. I would, I would pass. I would pass it on so other people can live. I'm going to go be an organ donor. If there's anything left in this old body, they can have it. My birthday's coming up. I'm going to get my driver's license renewed, and there will be a heart on mine. By him being a donor, look how he has helped them. He is still making things happen. And I love him madly for having the maturity to make the decision that he did and the impact that he had on my life. When I wake up in the morning, I pray and thank God that I'm here. Thank for waking me up this morning. I thank God for Jason Ray. I talk to him every night. I say a prayer with him, tell him about the basketball team, and thank him for what he gave me. It makes me feel better to see Antoine every day, you know, functioning well because of Jason. I took him big man to do what he did. He has brought it to a dimension that maybe a lot of people never thought about before, and maybe it will save a lot more people. Yes, bad things happen, but are the bad things good things come? Would the Rays prefer to have their son alive? You better believe it. Just knowing that people lived as a result of the decision he made lessen their grief. Probably not much. But it has given them a reason to say thanks. And that has kept them from being imprisoned to their grief. I want to make sure that I say to those of you who have experienced this type of loss, I am so sorry. And the last thing that I want to do this morning is to make it sound like that this is something that's easy or that you're failing if you haven't gotten there yet. 
I simply want to remind you that the greatest way through the grief is to trust that there is a God who loves you, that there is a God who is with you and he's fighting for you, and that he is doing something that perhaps you cannot see, and that our greatest hope is knowing that we will be with him one day. So thank you for your courage, and thank you for continuing to have faith and trust even in the darkest of your nights. And if you need us to surround you and support you this morning in prayer, please know that our elders and their spouses will be gathered around the auditorium as we sing a song together. They would be honored to pray with you. I'd be honored to pray with you. Uh, I'll be in the foyer in the parking lot. If there's any way that we can serve you today, please let us know. Now, as you stand, will you please speak these words with me as we close this morning? Let's say this with as much faith, faith as we can muster this morning. Are you ready? Here we go. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Amen.